In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. John Altobelli, Carrie Altobelli, Alyssa Altobelli, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, Era Zabayan, and Christina Mauser. These are the names of the seven souls that departed last week in the helicopter crash. And I'm sure everybody here knows the names of the other two. Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna Bryant. The whole world was devastated. It was a tragic event. But within this tragedy, there was something a little bit deeper that hit me personally. There was something that just bothered me a little bit. It really seemed like some people saw only one thing, and that was the death of Kobe Bryant. Now, of course, Kobe Bryant is a monumental figure. Kobe Bryant has inspired everyone across the whole world. Even last night, I was just talking to, to my teta, and uh, you know, she grew up here uh, in Egypt, and uh, she, she barely knows two words of English, but she's in love with Kobe Bryant, and she was talking to me about him. And, and especially for us here in LA, he's near and dear to our hearts. He's inspired so many people. He's motivated so many people. I've grown to love him ever since I learned about how he dealt with the affair and how he repented, came closer to God, and he took, spoke about Christ carrying his cross. And even the day that he departed, Sunday morning, we know that he was at church between 6 or 7 in the morning, uh, and, and he had a long day. You know, he was coaching, he had a long day that day. And he was at church in the morning, he took communion, so, on and off the court, his dedication, his commitment, everything about his life has inspired us. So, Kobe's legacy deserves every bit of attention and publicity that it's receiving right now. So, that's not what bothered me at all. That's not what bothered me at all. But I remember when we first heard this news about the helicopter crash, I was sitting with Marina and a few friends and... The first thing that the news said was that there were only four people that were in the helicopter, along with Kobe and his daughter. And then about a minute later, some other news started to trickle out, and they said there, are, there, there was actually seven people. So I'm wondering how many people were actually with Kobe and his daughter in the helicopter, how many people died. So I'm asking the people that were sitting next to me if they knew. And you wouldn't believe what the person sitting next to me answered my question with. He said, it doesn't matter, Kobe just died. He said, it doesn't matter, Kobe just died. Now, of course, he didn't mean that literally, or, or I hope he didn't mean it literally. I know that when somebody is closer to you, it's only natural that they'll take a little bit more of your attention. You know, if a family member, one of your best friends, departs, that's going to be all you focus on. That's going to be all you see. And that's okay. That's fine. Because that's somebody a little bit closer to you. But I wonder if subconsciously we decide who we want to notice. If subconsciously we see certain people and we ignore others. Even if it happens in the most subtle way, just like this 
young man that was sitting next to us responded saying, it doesn't matter, Kobe just died. You know, subconsciously, he chose not to notice the other people. And I'm actually so grateful that now more and more people are talking about the other seven souls that departed, the media, the news, all the posts are recognizing the other people that went down in this helicopter crash. More people are talking about them and, and more people are praying for them. So it's wonderful to see that. I know this isn't something that's just happening across the board. I'm not saying everybody just forgot about the rest of the people in this helicopter crash, but sometimes we really do choose not to see certain people. Sometimes we have selective eyes. Okay? So often we subconsciously fall into this sin without even realizing it. It's the sin of selective vision. Okay, we've heard of selective hearing, but today our focus is going to be on something called selective vision. So often we look at life with biased eyes, we value people differently, or even worse, we don't even value them at all. We don't even see them. Sometimes we look right past people. Think about the most common reason people leave the church. I'm willing to bet everything I have that if you survey those people, the number one response will be, nobody noticed me at church. I came in, I felt like I was judged. I felt like people looked right past me. And because of that experience, people don't want to come back. That's the number one reason. People walk in, they feel judged, they feel like people look at them with some sort of partiality, or even worse, they just look right past them. And that's almost always what happens when uh, you hear about these school shootings and all of these terrible disasters. Somebody wanted to get noticed. Somebody felt like they weren't ever seen. So, we do struggle with this. We do struggle with this sin of selective vision. We see people with a certain bias. We see people with partial eyes. I remember just a month ago, about, I think it was January 20th, there was a man that was murdered. He was, he was beaten to death. And it didn't really receive much attention on the social media. It just surfaced for a day and then just disappeared. But I'm willing to bet the reason that this was just brushed off was because of the type of man this was that was murdered. This man was a convicted felon and he was in prison for child molestation. And even in prison there's a sense of partiality because that crime is viewed <laughs> quite differently from any other crime. So, people didn't really notice this event that happened. And I just, I wonder if this man was a 
successful businessman or somebody that is popular out on the street would have received a little bit more attention. I think that somewhere underneath the social media or the people that were talking about this in the news must have determined it's not really that valuable. It's not that important. You know, they saw him a little bit differently. I remember a couple of years ago, whenever our troops captured and killed Osama bin Laden, and more recently too with uh, al-Baghdadi, the, the world responded in the most astonishing way. If you noticed the type of posts that were happening during that time, until now, it breaks my heart. But, but everybody was celebrating. Everybody was, it was like a party. People were posting things like, we're so glad he's finally dead. He deserves to burn in hell. We hope he rots forever. This is what he deserves. And I'm just thinking, this is the last thing God would say. Because we know God does not desire the death of a sinner, but rather that he returns and lives. So do we desire the death of a sinner too? I mean, if we looked at this man's life with the same eyes that God would look at his life, we would be heartbroken. We would see a miserable end for an evil man. And this should break our hearts. There's no reason to celebrate. For all we know, the man didn't repent. He didn't come to God. He ended his life in a tragic end. And where are our sympathetic eyes? I wonder what my life, even personally speaking, I wonder what my life would look like if I grew up with a family of terrorists. If I grew up in the Middle East with people programmed to kill others as a norm. By God's grace, I wasn't in that family and this is how I turned out. But we don't know the circumstances of other people. So we got to think about how we see others. So what's our, our message for today? What do I really want to tell you? Is that we really got to take a deeper look at the type of eyes that we have. I want us to really take this a little bit more seriously. This struggle of selective vision. Father Matthew the Poor says, A principal cause of failure in our Christian service, which leads to the dispersion of our sheep, is showing favoritism or partiality toward a particular group or a particular soul. This destroys Christianity. Having this sort of selective vision, having this sort of partiality or favoritism, eyes that really look at people with a sense of bias, 
It destroys us and it destroys the people that we look at. Sometimes we fail to see, and when we do see, we see with partial eyes. But Christ came to change that. This is why Christ came. He came to change that. In the passage today, Christ gives the man born blind eyes, eyes to see. Not just to see physically, but to see spiritually, to see purely, to see without partiality or without favoritism. Look at this event when this man receives his sight. You can say that he received his sight throughout this process or the miracle that happened. But look at the specific point in time in which he received his sight. You know, Christ could have just said a word and given him pure eyes, right? We've seen Christ heal and even raise the dead with his words, right? He says, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes to life. He could have said, have eyes, and the man has eyes. He could have given him eyes after he took mud and anointed this mud with his pure saliva and placed it on this man's face. And from that point, he could have received sight. But that's not when he received sight either. When did he actually receive his sight? When he went to wash. And not just in any place, but in the pool of Siloam. Keep in mind too that when John pauses throughout his gospel, to translate a certain word, it's because he wants to emphasize the significance of that word. Notice that John is writing in Greek, right? He's writing in Greek, people are reading this in Greek. So he could go straight through and give you the Greek name of this pool. But instead he gives you the Hebrew word, then goes back to translate it in order so so that we could understand the emphasis on this word, siloam. So what's the deal? What's the significance of this word? He said it's translated scent. The word scent is the word for prophet. A prophet is one who is sent. And a prophet by definition is one who reveals the will of God, one who speaks God's words, right? That's what a prophet is. Now, if you look at Christ, is there a greater revelation of God's Word but the Logos and the Word Himself? Who else but Christ has manifested the will of God? So this pool is Christ Himself. That's what we got to look at. Figuratively speaking, this is Christ. So what Christ wants to tell this blind man is go and wash in me. I am the one who will provide this sort of baptism. When you're washed, you put away the old filth and you bring to life the the new man. So when you wash in Christ, you receive the eyes of Christ. He didn't give him any sort of ordinary eyes. Like this man walked away with the best eyes in the world. 
Not just any ordinary eyes, but His eyes. Because Christ wanted Him not just to see, but to see purely. To see the world in a new light. To see without partiality, without favoritism, without a bias. If we look at our life personally, people that walk into our homes, that cross our path, even whenever people walk into our churches, how do we see them? This is the question that I want to pose today. How do we see others? How do we see the world? And the ones that we do see, what is the manner by which we notice those people? So you can simplify it in two questions. Do you see? Do you actually see? Because, you know, some people slip right past our eyes. Some people walk right across us and... They know we didn't notice them. We kind of just turn right away. So that's the first question. Do we see? The second question is, once we see, how do we see? How do we view people? How do we notice them? With pure eyes or with favoritism, with partiality? Do we judge somebody based on a superficial appearance? You know, Christ actually made the people that were labeled as outcasts, the object of his vision. He went to see those people before anybody else. Remember his encounter with Zacchaeus. He's walking along the road, and here's the short little man that climbs up into the tree. And, you know, he's like buried in this tree. Christ could have been walking right along and said, This short little tax collector, I don't even need to notice him. I could walk right past. He could have easily done that. He could have said, I don't need to notice this guy. But he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I must, I must dine in your house. You caught my attention, Zacchaeus. I see you. I notice you. I've got my eyes fixed on you. And not only that, but I see the good in you. Everybody else doesn't see anything but a cheater, a tax collector that robs everybody, but I see something else. St. Maximus the Confessor says, He has yet no love whose disposition towards men depends on what they are like. Loving one and despising another for this or that, or sometimes loving, sometimes hating one and the same man. Blessed is a man who can love all men equally. These are the eyes of Christ, eyes that love all men equally. Let's look at the encounter that Christ had with the Samaritan woman. So, for starters, he noticed her. And he had every single reason not to notice her. He's a Jew. He's walking across. Here's a Samaritan woman. Not only, not only is she a Samaritan, not only is she a woman 
But she's a prostitute. He had every reason to just turn his eye away. He said, I don't need to notice you. He had every reason to say, you're a filthy prostitute. You're a woman, a Gentile, a Samaritan, that I shouldn't even acknowledge. But he communicated with her. He wanted to have an encounter with her. He said, I notice you, I see you. I want to talk to you. And not only that, but when he did notice her, what did he see? Did he see a filthy prostitute? Because I'm telling you, that's the easiest thing to see. That's what everybody else around saw. And she knew that's how every single person viewed her. That's why she went to the well in the middle of the day to avoid people. She didn't want to be seen. And I'm telling you, the people that don't want to be seen are the people that need to be seen more than anybody else. So he didn't look at her like the rest of the people because the eyes of Christ are divine. These are what divine eyes do. They see differently. In the midst of all of that filth, what did he notice? He said... Go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. How did he respond? In that you have spoken the truth. What? He pointed out the truth in her? That's ridiculous. That a woman that's had five husbands, she's not even living with a man that she's married to. She's a filthy prostitute and he notices truth in her? You gotta have some divine eyes to see that little bit of light in somebody. You gotta have divine eyes. Only the, the eyes of Christ can notice that little bit of light. Are we looking for that light in people? We gotta ask ourselves are we looking for that light in people? Or do we just see one or two things that shift our eyes to a position of partiality, and then we just roll with it. In, um, in an effort to, to mention Timothy, who we celebrate in his commemoration today, I want to reference a verse that St. Paul says in 1 Timothy. In chapter 5, verse 21, he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing with partiality. He says, I charge you before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all the angels, like I charge you with everything in heaven to do what? To set aside any sort of partiality. I'll leave you with uh, a beautiful story. There was a monk that went to visit two of his brothers. The first brother that he went to visit, he walked into his cell. And it was nice and organized. Everything was put in order. And so as soon as he saw that, he thought, wow, this, 
this month must be just as organized and disciplined in his spiritual life. You know, I wish I was like that. I wish I had that level of organization and discipline in my spiritual life. So he sat and spoke to him, and then he moved on to the next monk that he wanted to visit. When he walked into the cell of that monk, it was a mess. Probably like what my room would look like. It was a mess. Everything was all over the place. So when he saw that, he thought to himself, Wow, this monk must be so busy in his prayers and readings and his service, he doesn't even have time to organize his room. This monk must be praying all day and night. He must be engulfed in his Bible all day and night. He must be so busy visiting and ministering to everybody else in the monastery that he can't even take care of himself. Only the eyes of Christ can see with such purity. Only the eyes of Christ can see without partiality. And we can have those eyes. It's not something that we can accomplish by our own strength, but just like this blind man today only received sight when he went to wash in a pool of Siloam, we can only have those eyes when we wash in a pool of Siloam. That is the pool of Christ. When we wash in Christ Himself, when we tell Him, God, I don't have those eyes. My eyes, they're carnal. They're physical. They're partial. Sometimes I don't even see people. And the ones that I see, I look at them with a sense of partiality. I'm ashamed of these eyes, but I want your eyes. And I know you can give me your eyes. I come to you faithfully, trusting that you are willing and ready to give me your eyes. Just think of what this church would look like if we had those eyes. Think of what our world would look like if everybody had the eyes of Christ. I'm not suggesting something hypothetical. I'm serious. I really want you to think about that because if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Really think of what our church would look like if we had the eyes of Christ, where, where everybody walks into our churches and they know that everybody sees them with love. I pray that we may have those eyes, that God may be glorified forever into the ages of all ages. Amen.